Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Consumer and regulatory pressure is mounting once again for the CPG industry to cut back on the use of single-use plastics, styrofoam, and other non-recyclable packaging, despite a temporary reprieve during the pandemic when safety and hygiene fears outweighed environmental ones. According to research conducted by the Consumer Brands Association, 87% of Americans before the pandemic said that they were worried about single-use plastics, and 86% said that the world was facing a packaging and plastic waste crisis. But when confronted with a lethal threat of the novel coronavirus in 2020, consumer tolerance increased for plastic, which many saw as a protective layer against COVID-19. As such, the percentage of Americans concerned about single-use plastic fell to 80% in 2020, according to CBA, which warns that this small retreat could slow environmental progress if left unchecked. So for its part, the trade group has aggressively pursued improving the nation's recycling system and encouraged 25 of the largest CPG companies to commit to increasing recyclable content, minimizing packaging, and reusing material. Of these companies, 80% intend to make all of their packaging recyclable or compostable by 2030 at the latest. At the same time, as consumers learn more about how COVID-19 is transmitted and they're confronted with the mounting piles of packaging and litter from increased deliveries, their concern is swinging back towards the environment. To help CPG companies meet this demand and their ambitious goals to reduce packaging waste, this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast features three emerging brands and participants in the Hudamaki Circular Economy Startup Program by Food System 6 that offer solutions for more sustainable packaging without compromising quality, protection, or production. They include Solu Blue, which has developed a sustainable seaweed-based alternative to plastic food packaging, Rhizoform, which uses increasingly popular and versatile mycelium, to make an alternative to the plastic foam used in thermally insulated packaging. Nafisi Environmental Research, which converts agricultural residues into paper pulp with a patented low-carbon process. So one of the most popular packaging options favored by CPG companies is plastic, but it's also one of the most problematic. So most people have seen plastic waste threatening marine life or the wayward takeout bag snagged in a tree branch where it will linger for years or they even contend with its recyclability limitations. And while plastic is good at protecting the finished product from outside elements, the chief technology officer of the startup SoluBlue warns it can also speed expiration of some fresh produce, contributing to a secondary problem of food waste. Francis Field, who also helped co-found SoluBlue, explains that the company's seaweed-based, non-toxic, and food-grade plastic alternative solves for all of these challenges. So the problem we see in regular plastic is that fresh fruit and vegetables, when they're packed, um, they're still alive. So they're still breathing, they're still respiring, they're still releasing moisture. And, and when this is trapped in plastic packaging, it causes condensation. You know, we've all seen that happening. And then that leads to mold growth and the premature spoilage of food as a result. So you get this kind of chain reaction happening. And it's, and it's a kind of further problem with plastic, which, you know, isn't being talked about in the same way as, you know, the 
the the waste management side of plastic um, is that it's also causing this food waste problem. So our solution is this new material, solid blue material, which is breathable and hydrophilic. And that means that the condensation doesn't build up. It's allowed to, it's allowed to escape. Um, so this is keeping the food pressure for longer because the mold growth isn't starting. But on top of that, because food kept in our packaging doesn't go moldy, it, if, if you leave it in the packaging, it instead becomes dried over a series of months. Um, so we can, in effect, turn grapes into raisins and um, fresh peppers into dried peppers, and they can still be used for cooking. You can still use them for cooking. You can still feed them to animals. Um, they can, of course, go to the compost. So they, they, they still have a value, so we're, we're not losing that food that would have gone rotten in plastic packaging. So um, we've found, I love to show that with raspberries, um, we can extend freshness by 250%. And it's even more dramatic with things like tomatoes, which can be as much as 400%. Um, so, so they have a kind of longer, fresher window, if you like, of shelf life. And then on top of that, they're not going moldy, they're being dried instead. Um, so we... This, this is a big benefit for, for retailers because they've got longer to sell the products, you know, longer to keep it on the shelf. But then it's also a benefit because if they don't sell it and it goes rotten, um, you know, that it's not getting wasted, it's not getting thrown away, they could, they could sell it, they could compost it. SolarBlue's solution also solves the problem of not knowing how or being able to recycle plastics that have been contaminated with food a challenge at both the consumer and manufacturing levels. We're probably all guilty of this at some, some one time or ever, which is, you know, when you have something packed in plastic and you didn't eat it and then it's gone off and you often just put the whole thing in the bin and consumers are doing that, but so are retailers and so are, so are food producers and it's happening on a much bigger scale because they don't have the, the, the time or the desire or the, or the money to, you know, pay someone to separate the food from the plastic and sort the waste and clean it. It's all just ending up in landfill or incinerated. There's a big challenge generally with recyclables versus all, you know, all different types of packaging on, on communication, how you communicate to the customer, um, what, they, what, what we want them to do with it, what the best waste stream is. Um, um, and we know that for things like PLA and bioplastics, um, they're actually causing a problem. It's not working because they look so much like um, PET and other types of plastic that they're contaminating recycling waste streams. So we, with, our, with our technology, what we're able to do is create packaging from seaweed, which is hyper-biodegradable, so it composts very, very quickly in a, in a home environment. By, by hyper, we mean, uh, we mean you can put it in your home compost, so you don't need to put it in some kind of weird industrial environment and add heat and moisture and energy to get it to biodegrade. It just biodegrades um, if, you, if you put it with soil and, and other organic matter. Um, so that's really great because it means that it will disappear wherever it ends up. And we've done tests ourselves, in-house tests, to show that it also disappears within four weeks in the ocean. Um, and, and that's in, in cold, you know, northern shores, not, not in the tropics. And uh, we, we've shown that it, it, it will uh, it'll go away by the side of the road and in all these environments. But obviously, we don't want it to end up there. We're just accepting the reality that, unfortunately, some of it does. If it ended up in a recycling center, 
recycling centers there's a stage where um where 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 everything gets washed and at that point our material is hydrophilic so it absorbs water and it drops out at that point it can be separated um so so we're confident that it 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 biodegrades naturally wherever it ends up but then if it ends up in a in a in the wrong waste stream then it can be separated as well if it's identified as a B2B business, Solar Blue is focused on partnering with incumbent companies that use plastic or produce plastic as an essential component of their product, but which they know they need to eliminate or at least drastically reduce. The, the next steps for us as a company is to do trials with, um, with our food packaging, um, with food producers and retailers, put it in a retail environment, test it throughout the supply chain. And then we're going to be looking at developing turnkey manufacturing solutions that can be partnered or licensed um, to packaging manufacturers. And this will allow them to stop producing plastic with their existing equipment and start producing Soluble in, instead. Um, and we see that really is the best way to create a, a global impact. It's a, it's a global project, um, the one that we're doing, and we need to really get it out there. And if we were to taken all the manufacturing ourselves and, you know, become a manufacturing company, that would be a much slower process. Um, so that's, that's the plan and that's how it seems to be emerging so far. While plastic has become sort of the poster child for why more sustainable packaging options are needed, it's far from the only material earning consumers ire. Another often shunned but difficult to replace material is extruded polystyrene foam, the light insulating material often used in disposable coolers to ship meal kits, seafood, or other perishables that need to stay cold. As an inexpensive, effective insulator, it's hard to beat EPS, but from an environmental perspective, its impact has been devastating, a reality that Rhizoform founding member Ryan Peterson saw firsthand as an Alaskan fisher. He explains that in the hunt to find a more sustainable shipping option to EPS for frozen fish, he teamed with other members of Rhizome to develop the Rhizobox, which uses biodegradable mycelium for thermal insulation. Mycelium are the kind of root structures of fungi, of mushrooms. So if you think about any time you set foot on ground, on soil, there is an invisible complex of um, you know, spiderweb thin uh, filaments that are run throughout all soil, pretty much all everywhere on earth. And so what we did is figured out a way to mimic the food that um, uh, fungi like to eat, which is, you know, rotting and decaying um, cellulose, wood and different things. Um, and we have sort of figured out a way to grow this mycelium through a food stock that also forms or that also serves as a kind of structural lattice. And so in the end, you get this uh, um, board that looks and feels not too different than, uh, than styrofoam. Um, and it has an, you know, insulation values according to our testing so far is are pretty similar if not slightly better than um, styrofoam and uh, you know the density is uh, pretty comparable um, the difference is you know when you're done with it you can throw it in your garden and a year later or so you have really healthy soil 
so that's that's kind of the technology we're also excited about it because it's not it's um it's not just a carbon neutral solution it fixes carbon the growing process um kind of fixes carbon in the mycelium in the food stock and uh and then it never is released because you're not burning it um or taking it from anywhere Using mycelium as an alternative to EPS isn't entirely new. Peterson notes that mycelium already is used as a protective packaging material for things like corner buffers when transferring furniture. But he says that Rhizome is the first to prove its insulative, waterproofing, and antiviral properties. If you put a put our cooler right next to a Styrofoam one and we filled them with frozen fish, put the lids on, temperature sensors inside there, and kind of measured the temperature over time and see to see how long it took for the interior contents to go above zero Celsius. And um, the styrofoam box, uh, I can't remember what it was. It was like at hour 35 or something, the styrofoam box went above it and ours was a few hours later. So it shows, you know, slightly better insulation um, values, but it's a little thicker in order to achieve that. At present, the walls are a little thicker than um, a styrofoam container would be. So we're trying to sort of shrink those down a bit. Um, and, um, and then as far as edge crush testing, structural integrity, it's quite com- comparable. Um, and then interestingly, uh, mycelium, one of the other, we'll talk about two other um, qualities that it has naturally that surprised me as not, I'm again, not a mycologist. And when you learn about these things, it just kind of blows your mind. The first one is that it's hydrophobic, right? So um, mycelium does not absorb water. Uh, it, sh- it, it pr- repels water. And so it, it grows across this um, lattice that we grow it on and actually forms a waterproof surface. So the other, the second part about them, they have this natural quality of being, they are antiviral. So, so for that and other reasons, um, the product is of interest to the, uh, the life sciences industry, pharmacology and the shipping of things like vaccines that have to be at a, kept at a certain temperature or other things that, um, you know, imagine if, you know, when the pandemic started and everyone was concerned about mail and, you know, do we have to, you know, alcohol swab every piece of mail that comes in. If you had a box made of mycelium, it wouldn't really be uh, a concern because of this incredible natural superpower that mushrooms have. While Rhizobome has developed a minimum viable product, it continues to iterate its offering, which it's keeping at a relatively small scale for now. However, Peterson then said that the company is contacted exponentially more and more by companies large and small looking for sustainable insulation, demonstrating the need for and potential of a product like this one. While paper and cardboard packaging are accepted more broadly by consumers and businesses alike because it's recyclable, the co-founder of Nafisi Environmental Research, Florence Niramati Nafisi, knows that the current process for making paper packaging isn't perfect. 
And as demand increases, so is paper's environmental impact under its current production process. So for the paper packaging, we are, um, there, there will be a growth of about 6 million tons every year. So additional, in addition to already the 250 million tons of uh, pulp that are used for paper packaging every year. Um, so that's, uh, you know, the, the main point. So already for the 250 million uh, tons of uh, raw material required for the, for the paper packaging. So as the raw material to produce these products, I mean, we have two main raw materials. One is waste paper and the other is just wood. Uh, part of the wood pulp also comes from, um, you know, also endangered forests. Uh, thankfully, it's not uh, the, the largest part, but uh, anyway, there's still a part that comes from endangered forests. So really, the, the, the importance of the sustainability is uh, first looking at, you know, what the product is made of. Um, and uh, so it's good to shift from, you know, plastic to, um, you know, fiber packaging, but we, we need to make sure uh, you know the the source of the um, the raw material is uh, you know from a well managed source uh, you know well managed forests or um, but obviously uh, and obviously the the problem we are facing with the you know the carbon uh, footprint and carbon emissions is that we need to keep you know as many forests you know uh, just not cutting trees. To help save trees while still ensuring a sufficient supply to high-quality paper or fiber-based packaging, Nafisi developed what it calls eco-pulping, which is a patented low-carbon process that transforms agricultural residues that typically would be burned into paper pulp. We offer is you know an alternative source of fiber to produce the the same products uh, that were made from waste paper or wood pulp. Um, so it's an alternative to, to wood pulp. Our first, uh, you know, observation was that, uh, you know, there are agricultural uh, residues, uh, you know, after the crop harvest, when we, uh, you know, farmers harvest wheat or, or rice or, you know, other cereals, then uh, the, the straws very often are, there's a surplus that they cannot use and uh, that they used to burn, or they are still burning. I mean, today, there are still millions of tons of um, agricultural waste, uh, you know, burned or left to rot. And in both um, cases, anyway, this creates a high level of, of carbon emission. And uh, so that, that's the, our, our first observation, uh, which was many years ago, and uh, that's what, really created the, the start of our research on, on using this waste for, uh, you know, fibers to replace uh, wood fibers. Um, so eco-pulping is um, a process that uh, enables, uh, you know, the uh, conversion of agri-residues into paper pulp that can be used as a raw material uh, for paper packaging or for paper or for tissue, actually. But 
well, now we're focusing more on, on, on the packaging aspect. And it's considered a, a virgin pulp, so it can be used um, as, uh, you know, in contact with food. Uh, and so the, the process itself um, is also using, compared to the wood pulping, for example, is using uh, half of the energy, up to five, half of the energy, and up to 95% less water. Um, so the, we know that, you know, the, the wood pulping is very energy intensive uh, type manufacturing and there are usually huge uh, productions and they produce um, dry pulp uh, that then they export, you know, all over the world. So the idea with eco-pulping is um, that the, the process is um, economic at small scale capacity we need to have small-scale capacities at first because we need to be close to the raw material to avoid also long-distance uh, transport for the raw material to the to the package uh, to the sorry pulping mill, and um, and then the idea of having small-scale plants is to enable uh, the plants to be built also near the packaging mill, who is going to whether purchase the pulp or, or just uh, use its own pulp if they have purchased actually and invested themselves in the, in the eco-pulping meal. So it's to avoid the drying of the pulp uh, and, and avoid the, the long transport of the pulp uh, to be used directly on the, on the packaging um, manufacturing. Um, we had contacts with uh, with packaging meals who have tested our pulp. Um, so we had the pulp really tested on uh, you know industrial uh, capacities, uh, whether for molded products such as you know all the food um, uh, takeaway food products, for example, bowls and plates and uh, punnets, <laughs> you know fruit punnets and these sort of things. Or um, we had our pulp also tested mixed with waste paper to produce uh, some of the uh, layers of our corrugated boards, so all the boxes uh, we have. And this was to increase the, um, uh, the strength of the, of the product because of the low quality of the, of the waste paper. Um, so we've been, yes, in contact with uh, a lot of packaging meals, um, However, the, the, our main work the last, during the last few years um, happened mostly in China. Uh, but now we are refocusing um, on, uh, so mostly on Europe at the moment. We, we have also good links in, in North America. Um, but uh, so we, yes, we, we work, I mean, we were in contact with uh, uh, Hutamaki already. Uh, we've been in contact with them for, for a few years. Um, and also other types of uh, packaging meals uh, who are producing corrugated boards, so big brands here as well, uh, who are testing, uh, yes, our pulp um, to increase the strength of their products. As participants in the Hudamaki Circular Economy Startup Program by Food System 6 this summer, each of these companies worked closely with coaches, mentors, and experts in their areas to advance their businesses. Based on their program participation and presentation at the end of the course, Solu Blue was tapped to receive $50,000 in funding to amplify its impact, 
NFEC Environmental Research was selected to receive $100,000 and one year of on-call custom support from Food System 6 to help it reach its upcoming milestones. With that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to ensure that you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.